Welcome back to the Grief Observed Podcast. I'm Brad Morell, your host. If you want to be on the podcast to tell your story of grief, please contact me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com, uh, or you can reach me on our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash griefobservedpodcast. And uh, I look forward to your emails and bringing you on the show. Uh, today's guest is Danny, and she is a, a hospice nurse. I've been looking for one for a while and finally found one to speak with us. And she's got some uh, experiences that she wants to share with us. And uh, she also has some fairly recent loss in her life that uh, we may discuss as well. So, Danny, thanks for being here with me. How are you this morning? I'm good, Brad. Good, good. So why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself? You can tell as much or as little as you want. Um, so I am a RN. I've been an RN for 13 years. Um, I did most of that in the emergency room and then was called to hospice a little over a year ago due to the passing of my grandmother. Um, had a She was in hospice. She had pancreatic cancer. Um, and, you know, dealing with the nurses and the medications and stuff to keep her comfortable was um, a blessing. It was something at the time that I knew that I could do with being an ER nurse. I had seen things that were worse than death. And I felt that being able to help people navigate and understand, you know, this super difficult time was something that I was being called to do. Sometimes I think it takes something very difficult in life before we really recognize where we're supposed to go in life. And, uh, you know, sadly, it, you know, it sounds like the death of your grandmother was uh, kind of a catalyst for change in your life. But that's that's not always a bad thing. And, and I think that's part of that finding meaning through grief. You know, sometimes we have to find the meaning about our own lives. Um you know, I ask this question fairly often. I'll throw it out there quickly for you. But did uh, that death or any any other deaths like change your thoughts about your own mortality? Um, so that's kind of one of those things, you know, being an ER nurse, too, is that I have seen so many incidents that people walk away from. And it's truly, you know, no other way to describe it, but a miracle. And then I've also seen things that you know, are surprising that people pass from. So I've, I have always lived, you know, life to the fullest, believing that any day could be our last. And, you know, being a spiritual person myself, I believe that, you know, when it is our time that we are called home and that there is nothing that we're, you know, going to do different here on this earth to necessarily change that. Like you stated, I've seen people pass for, um, the oddest things like, you know, I want to be sarcastic and say something like a hangnail or, you know, just something that's very, you know, we would consider benign. And then you see people walk away from like a, a car that rolls over, right. you know, 15 times off of a cliff. And it's like, wow. Um, and it's always those people too. I'm like, wow, God must have like this amazing call on this person's life. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I think we discount both sides of that, you know, like uh, on on the person that passes away from um, what we would consider insignificant or, or benign, maybe a lot of people would be like, OK, they left too soon. And, and especially in young people, we hear that, you know, that they had so much life ahead of them. And and I'm quick to state that, no, they didn't. And and it's unfortunate Um I kind of go back to this Marcus Aurelius quote that I read in one of the books of him years ago, and not that I agree with all of his philosophy by any means, but um, he stated, you know, the youngest and the oldest lose the same thing, and it's today. And yes. I think we all take take that for granted for sure. Let's start talking a little bit about, uh, unless unless you want to speak about some of your own grief first, maybe that's where we should go on this. Talking about the catalysts and stuff like that, you know, my grandmother's passing, there was also a lot of um, turmoil with my family, which I feel like happens in many, many, you know, grief states. People are are more sensitive and stuff like that. 
and taking this job in hospice and seeing how everyone deals with grief. We all deal with it differently, but at the same time, I feel like we all deal with it the same. And, you know, going, going through this situation with my grandmother and it being super tremulous was something that helped me navigate with other patients and their families to say, you know, hey, this is normal. Hey, this is, this is something that you're not alone in, that other people have went through this journey the same. Um, and, I, you know, I've suggested talking to other people, grief support groups, you know, stuff like that, because I think as many of us go through this, we feel like we are alone. And, you know, that's not the case at all. There are so many that are similar, you know, have been through these same things. So it's so important to reach out to talk to people with my hospice that I work for. We offer grief support um, forever. You know, there's no like you have to do it this week. You have to do it, you know, next week. It's something that is a continuing thing. You can call up at any point and say, hey, I need this service and it's provided through our community. And I just, I feel like that is such a wonderful thing that people need to realize, hey, you're not alone. Yeah, I, I can see where I would, I would imagine very few um, attend those things early on. I, I would imagine that it's the later, you know, whenever they have a little bit clearer headspace and of course it does vary from individual to individual, but like you stated, um, certainly none of us are pioneers when it comes to death and grieving. You know, there's been many before us, there'll be many after us. What are your thoughts on, on people seeking out help early versus later in hospice? I, I really feel like it is something that you have to do on your own time. It says to be something that you are ready and that you are open for. Um, it's kind of like quitting an addiction. Until you are ready for it and you are open to it, then it's going to be pointless. Um, so, you know, maybe if it's sitting in a class before you're ready to talk or something along those lines, then that might be okay. But, you know, I feel like it's something that you really have to be accepting of and for everybody that's different. Yeah, I agree. That's... Uh... That's really why I stopped seeing children in my private practice. I I like people who want to be in counseling and see the benefit of it. And I, wow. I even say that with, um, like in couples counseling, it can be difficult. You know, I've got one couple who's totally wanting their marriage to work. The other one's hanging on by a fingernail. And the person that really wants it is dragging them in there. And it's like, well, this isn't going to work too well. You know, it's... Hopefully I can plant some seeds and, and maybe that's what we do also in the grief, uh, you know, early grief stages is just, um, and I hate to even use the word stage scratch that I'm not a fan of the stages, but you know, in the, in the early, uh, days of, of grief, uh, just plant some seeds for those that, uh, be not quite ready to, to address some of the things. So I am curious when I, I mentioned the word stages, um, as, as I stated, I'm not a fan of the five stages of grief. Um, I had someone who worked in hospice, uh, a chaplain on my last episode, and she said that it's kind of in their, uh, software that they have to talk about the stages of grief and things like that. Is that something that you did as well? Um, so actually not at all. I have a sociology degree um, from prior to nursing. I've read Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's, um, you know, works on the stages of grief and grieving. I've also read multiple other um, books, you know, newer, newer versions. Um, and that is never something it was, I don't even know if it was mentioned in my orientation. Um, you know, I've, even helping my mother navigate her own grieving. Um, and like I said, the family situations and stuff, that was kind of, you know, what I would talk about. Even helping her with acceptance, you know, from the other family members. It's like, we all go through this at our own, you know, our own level, our own process. And like, not everyone hits all the stages. And, you know, it's an individual process that there are similarities and all no two are the same and like helping you understand, you know, that other people are going through it, but maybe completely different too is, 
I know that's kind of funny, but no, no, that's uh, it makes sense. And you're right. That's, that's one of the reasons why, um, I would say many therapists do not really follow the stages because it's, um, you know, I, even the people that cling to the stages now state, well, it was never meant to be, I guess, prescriptive and, uh, and I get it, it, but there are some, some things out there now that I guess teach us more about grief. Um, let's talk a little bit more about, I guess, your experience in hospice and maybe some of the things that you've seen. I've, I have recently started reading a book by David Kessler called Visions, uh, Trips, and Crowded Rooms. And that that's really what started my thought process on on maybe getting some people in from hospice. And uh, I just purchased Nurse Hadley's book. Um, I've seen some of her videos where she sees okay. and talks about these things, but uh, I have not started reading it yet. So I, I have no idea if, if the book's good or not. Um but anyway, <laughs> let's talk about you and, and what some some of the things that you've experienced. Any any major story that just kind of really sticks uh, sticks out above the rest? Yes, I have one. And, um, you know, even with my grandparents passing, seeing things before, stuff like that, you know, that was definitely something. But I have one story um, that will forever stick with me and gives me chills every time I, I recant it to someone. Um, I had a lady who, um, well, it was actually a daughter who found out that her mother in another state was given a terminal diagnosis and she was in the hospital and she was alone. So the daughter was like, you know, absolutely not. You're coming home. Um, her, I believe niece had been a hospice worker before, and suggested, you know, that that was the way that they needed to go. So this daughter drove out of state, picked up her mom and brought her back home. Um, when I saw the patient, she was resistant to hospice. Um, but, you know, our philosophy is we get people on service early to give them quality um, versus quantity. So that's how I explained it to her. You know, she was having uncontrolled pain. She was absolutely miserable. You know, she was pacing. Um, so I explained and I was like, listen, we get you feeling better. Then you can go seek treatment if that's what you want, you know, but let's at least get you comfortable. So she agreed and, you know, I went through everything. I got our medications um, ordered from our physician and th the next day, this lady became unresponsive. Um, which was really hard for the daughter to, to process, you know, to handle that she had just got her there, you know, she'd been so functional and now she's no longer, um, you know, functional. So she's in bed, the daughter's providing care. Um, I'm going to see them daily. And the daughter calls me, um, you know, the next day when I'm going out to make my visit and she was like, mom woke up at three in the morning. She was totally lucid. She walked to the bathroom. And when she came back, she said, I've been in heaven for the last day. She said, Jesus doesn't look anything like all the pictures and the colors are so bright and beautiful. Wow. And she said, but I had to come back and tell you, thank you. And I love you. Wow. Wow. And she, um, you know, the daughter's just like tears, you know, flabbergasted. And her mother asked her to lay down and sleep with her. And she went unresponsive again after that and passed several days later. Um, but, you know, she said she was just, you know, so lucid. And she's not the first patient that I've had to like describe bright colors and stuff like that. So I really believe that she did go to heaven but for this daughter, the closure that came from that experience was immeasurable. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it is um, really, really neat to to hear stories like this. And, um, you know, I before we punched record, I was talking about I'm a believer. I know that... Uh, you're definitely a, a spiritual person and, and pray and how much like if, if you didn't have a belief 
Would working in hospice have changed that for you after seeing some of the experiences that you've seen? I mean, absolutely. I don't know how you can see some of the things that I've seen and experienced, um, you know, the things that I have both in the ER and in hospice and not believe that there is a higher power. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just hard to even describe some of the things I've seen, some of the things I've felt. And also on the other end of that, patients and people who don't believe it is a very different journey for them than it is the ones that have, you know, something better to look forward to on the other side. Hmm. I know it may be a little bit on the dark side, but do you have any of those stories too? Um, I do. I have another patient who, um, very, very comfortable with, with passing, ready to die. Um, you know, he knew that it was getting closer. I guess he could feel it. And I mean, he wasn't afraid. Um, but he asked me, he asked me, you know, what's it going to look like? And that was one thing I'm very open and honest with my patients and would describe, you know, what their last days could look like, you know, based off of other patients and stuff like that. Um, and he, and he was okay with that. He was ready. His spouse was very, you know, ready and willing to care for him though. She was religious. Um, so when this gentleman became actively dying, he was actively dying for weeks. And I feel like sometimes when there's not that welcoming party, which is what I call, you know, the family, the people that, that the patient starts seeing, you know, it's typically family members, stuff like that. It's the welcoming party. They're coming to take them home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so this, this fella didn't have that. So his transitioning and actively dying period were a lot longer and, you know, his spouse in his final days was like, you know, it's like, I want to get a priest in here, but I don't think he would appreciate that. I just feel like he's struggling to pass. And, um, you know, kind of here recently, I've been doing um, a little dabbling into crystal energy. And um, because yeah, I also believe in like the moon phases and that changing, you know, different, different attitudes and actions and stuff like that. So I had recently bought my entire hospice team little amethysts um, because amethysts are a sign of calming and relaxing and there's something to help um, ward away negative energy. So I had bought my entire hospice team little amethyst hearts and um, did a prayer with our team because we'd really been struggling um, as a team. Um, it, so I had one of those left in my bag and I took it in and I gave it to her and I explained what it was and we put it in his hand and he actually passed the next day. I wow. don't know if the amethyst had anything to do with it, um, but sometimes, you know, maybe it was just that, that thought that something to hold on to kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting for sure. Um, and, and I like the, the thoughts of the welcoming party. Um, and I, I hope I have lots of people at my welcoming party for sure. <laughs> um, I, I had posted a picture on, uh, my grief observed podcast, uh, Facebook page the other day, and it, it basically did have, um, this grief or this welcoming party that you're speaking of in the picture. It was just kind of a, a cartoon, of that. And, uh, I'm trying to get over to it so I can read you what it states. It was, it was kind of a, a cool little saying and, uh, just made me think about what those, those last moments really are. It says, uh, the beautiful irony is that our loss is another's reunion. And it kind of shows these people grieving at this person's bedside, but, kind of over in the background is these uh, shadowy figures of, of the people that's kind of welcoming them to the other side. So it, it's very interesting just hearing people's stories. And like you stated, there's, there's a lot of things like the bright colors, you know, that are mentioned so often. Um, what are some other common themes or, or things that you think people see in the end of life? Um. I mean, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that the family members are definitely 
one of the the major things. Um, and you know, we have science to say, well, this is this is terminal restlessness. This is, um, you know, the the medical things that are indicative of end of life. Um, but when people are saying, you know, the name of someone that's there, and you know, seeing animals, then I do feel like it is that welcoming party. And we actually have a drug called Haldol that we use to stop hallucinations. And I always tell family members, like, listen, unless the hallucinations are scary, then don't give this medicine because it takes away, you know, this welcoming party. And like, who wouldn't want to see that? Who wouldn't want this kind of another one of my favorite stories of people seeing things before? Um, I had a gentleman, advanced dementia, who was um, actively or transitioning to actively dying. And he started yelling a name and his spouse was like, who are you yelling for? Cause like the name didn't really make sense to her. And a couple hours later, um, another family member called and said such and such just died. And it was the name of the person again, like goosebumps. And I'm like, she came to get him. Like she's, you know, she's here. And you know, like I said, this guy advanced to me to like not really talking hardly at all. And to say this name in particular, like, you know, you have to believe that she was there to take him home as well. Yeah, that, that is absolutely amazing. And um, in that book I'm reading, I actually read a couple of things very similar, like, uh, you know, two people passing almost at the same time unknowingly and seeing one of them sees the other person already there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, welcoming them and, and bringing them to the other side. That that's just a, uh, a phenomenal thought. Um, it, it does lead me to another thought though. Whenever you're talking about dementia, um, my, my grandfather, uh, I was with him during his passing and, you know, just a couple of days before he was seeing things, uh, I've mentioned on the podcast before he did see, as you stated, animals, like he had seen birds and cats and, uh, but he had seen a couple of good friends of his, like his, one of his best friends in the world. Um, he had seen, and it's just like, okay, I, I feel, you know, it's almost like you hear that climatic, uh, climactic music that, you know, in the background, knowing that they are actively dying. It is, this process is really starting to ramp up, I guess. Um, I guess my biggest question is, okay, there, there were a few things maybe a a couple of months before where he had seen people in his home. And so we knew there was dementia there. Um, my question is, do you see these end-of-life experiences more in the old who already have uh, some form of dementia, or do you see it equally in youth and, and people that are passing at young ages? It is 100% equal across the board. Um, when people start down, and that's, I can normally tell people, you know, when that starts, I can say, you know, I'm seeing these things. This is the changes indicative of end of life. And I can normally give people a pretty good timeline. Now, people can always linger longer than or go quicker than, you know, but most of the time I can, I can pretty much hit it on the head. Um, But it it is across the board, the people who see things. um, I do not feel like age or dementia is any, you know, determination I actually had a patient pass recently and I mean she was feisty as all get out and (laughs) she knew that the things that that's I guess this is the difference in people who are confused at baseline and people who are not most of the ones who are still very you know have their faculties um they know that they're confused they know that the things that they are seeing are not actually there um but that doesn't change the fact that they're seeing them and you know that's what she was telling me she was like you know I'm seeing all this stuff and you know I very you know frankly told her because she'd been a patient for a while and I was like this this is a sign of end of life I said you are getting very close and you know she was very accepting of that um her spouse definitely struggled with it more than she did but she passed in 
less than a week. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, but she, she knew and she was ready. That also makes a huge difference in people, you know, that, that unfinished business thing definitely mm-hmm. makes people stick around, whether it's they're waiting for a family member to get there before they pass. Um, you know, they're sometimes people aren't comfortable enough to pass which is what our medicines, they don't speed up the process by any means, but they can make your loved one comfortable enough to cross over. And, you know, that's what I try to explain to people when they're giving them that, you know, you're not, you're not killing your loved one. You're not, you know, doing anything um, that's going to speed this up. They're going to die one way or the other, but whether they die comfortable or not, you know, is something that these medicines are going to help. I saw that kind of in, in my own family, you know, whenever my grandfather was passing, um, he had horrible fluid built up on his legs and things like that. And was just so, so uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, we, we had to wear, you know, all the, the gear to go in there just to see him and, uh, just due to infection and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were giving him morphine and, and I feel like my dad and his sister really struggled like, oh my gosh, like if we just keep hitting the button every time he's uncomfortable, we're just going to, you know, this man's going to go and it's going to be our problem, our fault, you know? And, and, uh, you know, I, I recall people there explaining that, no, that's, you know, we're making him comfortable. We're not, you know, euthanizing your father, you know? Right. Um, and I think people have a, a big misconception of, of making one comfortable versus, you know, for lack of better terms, putting them to sleep or something. Right. And that's something else that comes with end of life. Your body knows what it is doing through this passing process. So sleeping more is normal. And a lot of people think that it is the medications that are doing it. It's not. Those medications, again, are just you know, they're knocking down the terminal restlessness, which terminal restlessness is literally just this feeling of I've got to go, I've got to get up, you know, and I do feel like that's, it's like the brain's ready to leave, you know, but the body is still in the shutting down process. So this patient just has this overwhelming, like anxiety urge to move. And sometimes that is painful. Sometimes it's, you know, it's an unsafe, dangerous situation because they could fall. Sure. So, you know, these medicines are just allowing these patients to rest. But I can promise you that sleeping is just part of the dying process. So these medications, they're like, well, I want, you know, grandma to be awake. I don't want to just knock her out. And I'm like, she's going to sleep with or without the medicines, you know. So that's, I explain to people all the time, listen to your body. Your body knows what it's doing through this process. You know, and essentially what happens is eventually people go to sleep. They're unresponsive, you know, and we continue to give these medications again for comfort. Um, The dying process, I feel like most of the time is far harder on us on the outside watching it than it is for the patients. Mm -hmm. Whenever a person is unresponsive, at least to, uh, you know, whatever we're speaking to them, do they hear us? So hearing is the last sense that we lose. So actually, all my many nursing hats, I did surgical recovery um, before I did PACU. Um, and no matter what, even when I was doing trauma with sedated and innovative patients, I always talk to my patients. I always tell them what I'm doing. Um, because, you know, we honestly don't 100% know what patients can hear and what they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hearing is, we've always been taught, you know, the last sense to go. And I have definitely seen with my hospice patients that I feel like many of them in that unresponsive state at the end do still comprehend. Um, I've had patients squeeze my hand, you know, or just a little flicker, you know, when someone gets to the room or something that I feel like they know that they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know in the last days with my grandfather or really the the day before he passed, you know, I had this conversation with him and, and just, 
you know, he's laying there and, and I'm just curious, you know, is he taking in anything that I said? Uh, you know, what would he say back to me? You know, if he could speak and, uh, I don't know, you hear different things and, and like you state, you know, it's, I don't guess there's any way we can completely know, um, unless there's maybe some body movement that correlates with, you know, the, the hearing process. But if, if that's, you know, one of the senses that have already left them as far as touch or something, then who knows? Um, I like to think that he heard. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes it's as, it's as cathartic for the person sitting there talking to them Mm -hmm. as it probably is, you know, I always tell my my family members, make sure that you tell them it's okay, that it's okay to pass. You know, whether they're responsive or not, our loved ones need to hear that. They need to know that, um, you know, that you're going to be okay because many family members linger because they're worried about the people that they leave behind. Um, you know, so sitting there and saying those things, whether it be, you know, unburdening some guilt or something that you have, um, I 100% say, you know, sit there with them, hold their hand, tell them, you know, tell them whatever you need to tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, t- I tell all my hospice families, we're here as much to support the family as we are the patient. Yeah, I, I do believe uh, you're correct in stating that, you know, it is more difficult for those behind, you know, it's whoever's going through this dying process, it, it will be relieved you know, shortly, whereas we're left behind to kind of think about that person and, and the time, the good times that we shared with yeah. them. And, um, uh, and then of course there's other things to deal with financials and, you know, attorneys and wills and, and all these things, um, that that person who passed, you know, they, they don't have to deal with that anymore. So, you know, there, right. there's some good things about that. Have you, do you have any, stories uh from youth or teenage years as far as someone passing that you can recall honestly not really my grandparents on my father's side passed when I was younger but um I had a couple cousins pass when I was younger too but I never really had experienced you know grief until the passing of my grandparents Mm. my my mother's parents what made you comfortable with hospice it was it just simply the the fact of of going through that with your grandmother or did it take you a while to actually I don't know see the differences to your previous nursing career so I honestly believe that there are just some people conditioned to deal with more to shoulder more than other people are and I don't I don't say that to make myself sound like you know I'm super tough it's just for me that there is some sort of disconnect doesn't mean that I'm not compassionate. And, you know, I've I've even told, you know, many of my hospice patients, like I'm not the person to be there afterwards. I'm not the ushy mushy person. And they're like, but you are, you just don't realize it. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that it started far before um, my hospice career, even with my ER career, I did pediatric trauma and was able to disconnect from it, you know, this is a child, whatever, to just do my job and do the best that I could to care for them um, without the emotional attachment. Um, I have no idea how or why, you know, that things didn't affect me necessarily like they do other people. Um, I think that many people would probably have PTSD if they had seen some of the things that I have seen. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have an extremely cool level head and with, with hospice, you know, being able to see, I don't know, I don't even know what it is, being able to see the, the benefit and being able to help people. So I guess in such a tough time without being emotional is what's the most beneficial to my families. No, don't get me wrong. I have definitely cried a time or two in saying goodbye as I am leaving, you know, this hospice job um, and moving this week. I cried with many patients because 
you know, you, you definitely grow attached to the ones that you have, but even in most of their passing, you know, I guess I'm more sad that I'm not going to be there for that than um, the thought of them actually dying because I know what a help it is to them. Yeah. I think so often we, I, I guess, pray for our will, you know, to keep this person around for another 85 years, you know, it's like, okay, uh, grandma, grandpa, they've, they've lived a, a fairly good life. And yes, of course we would love to have them around longer, but, um, people don't live forever. Right. I mean, it, it, to me, it is, it is a selfish act to keep people here suffering because you're going to miss them. I mean, and that's not always the case. You know, we love our, we love our family members and, you know, I've seen spouses who are absolutely so selfless in what they, they give and do for their, you know, their passing loved ones. And, um, you know, it's, it is letting go of this earthly body, this earthly, you know, it's not goodbye. It's see you later. Hmm. What do you say to those that are, are there, uh, watching someone pass who have fear of death? How do you comfort them in those moments? Um, it is, it is difficult. Um, just trying to help them understand, you know, the process. Most people are scared of death because they are scared of the unknown. Um, so I do find in explaining, I mean, and sometimes graphically explaining to the patients and the families, um, eases a lot of tension. Um, I'm definitely a very type A OCD individual who, you know, I want to have control over everything. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the patients who are afraid and their families, it's because they don't know what's going to happen and they're afraid of suffering. So explaining the process, explaining the medications, um, you know, that step-by-step, this is what you're going to look for. And we have an excellent resource guide through my hospice that literally breaks it down in, you know, months to weeks, weeks to days, days to hours. Um, but taking that unknown out helps alleviate so much fear and stress. Yeah. It always amazes me how close they get with a timeline. And, uh, you know, I guess if you do something long enough, you just know, but it's amazing, you know, how close they get to, you know, if they said, okay, your, your loved one has three weeks and you know, it's, it's pretty spot on most of the time. Um, I don't know. Is that just something that you, I, I guess there's certain markers that you look for in an individual. There, there are, there are certain things that we start to see, you know, very kind of early. And then as it gets closer to end of life and, you know, we do call it the transitioning period um, is the, period between, you know, being fully functional living and then actively dying. And during that transitional period, we start to see, you know, withdrawing from our loved ones, not being as social, not being as, um, you know, kind of present and stuff, um, not wanting to eat, which is another one of those things I tell people, listen to your body. As your body shuts down, it does not have anything to do with the fuel provided by food. And as a good Southern, you know, Southern girl, we like food and that's what we do. When somebody dies, what do we do? We bring food. Um, right. And I'm like, do not force food on your loved ones <laughs> because it can actually have the opposite effect. And I know that families do this because it's a comfort thing. I mean, that's why they call it comfort food. Right. Um, <laughs> but the body doesn't have anything to process. So also keep in mind your loved one is not starving because they are not hungry, you know? And I, I actually saw a hospice TikTok recently and it said, you know, I'm going to tell my patients if they want to eat nothing but chocolate, eat nothing but chocolate. And I laugh because that's what I always tell my patients. Mm. Eat what you want to eat when you want to eat it. But if you don't, don't force it, you know? So that's the, the sleeping more, maybe the onset of confusion or hallucinations in someone who's normally very lucid, um, you know, stuff like that, losing continence. If you've, you know, been able to hold your bowel and bladder and you know, starting to lose that is another sign. Um, a lot of times there's also some sort of marked decline, um, you know, somebody that's been 
walking and talking without any issues is now having a hard time getting up or, Mm -hmm. you know, things. And sometimes it may take you a day or two, like, is this just a little setback or is this truly transitioning? Um, Because you can also write off those changes to many, many, many other things. And I often see families do that. I'll be like, oh, was he, was he picking at his clothing? Was he, because that's another thing, picking at clothing, twitching, jerking, um, like tremors. And they're like, oh yeah, he's always done that. And I'm like, "Mm, I've never seen him do that before. (laughs) Mm. You know, that family members will kind of make excuses or write off things as other things when it definitely could be an end of life sign. My first thought is, um, where I don't sleep much and I eat a lot, I must, I must <laughs> like, I may live forever. I don't know. <laughs> um, that, that sounds like me too. Insomnia and love food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but on the other side of that, I am curious, like how many people that you see have like this big decline and then all of a sudden they have this energy burst that may get, may give like the family hope. Um, oh, but that's... you know that it's, it's a very short lived thing. How do you deal yep. with that? Um, so I, I'm a very proactive person. So I like, especially on patients that I know I have time with, there are patients I get that they are already to that transitioning active period. So, you know, you have to deal with that totally different, but on family members that are, you know, a slow process, whether it be from like a dementia process or from, you know, a longer term cancer diagnosis. Um, I explained that at the beginning that sometimes they will get a second wind, um, but typically, you know, expect a drastic decline afterwards. A lot of times we do see that with um, our patients will get like family members will come in or something, people that they're excited to see, haven't seen in a while. And they'll be awesome. Like if they have dementia, they'll probably be more lucid than they've been in years. If they, um, you know, have cancer or something, they may get up and eat dinner at the dining room table where they've been bed bound for weeks. Um, you know, you will see those things. And, you know, when the family's like, Oh, you know, they're, they did this. And I was like, it's probably that last, last hurrah, last, um, and most families kind of know about that. I feel like struggle with it more, understand that that is, you know, the last good time that they're going to have. And I feel like it's a closure thing again, for many family members and even for the patients, you know, they got to do whatever it was that they said that they wanted. And that's something we always ask our patients, what's most important to you? What do you want? You know, and some of them say nothing, but some of them have a certain meal that they want or, you know, somebody that they want to see. Um, so that gives them closure. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, as, as people that we know and love are sick and we know that, you know, there's a a week or less or whatever, and people come in and it's, it's like, Hey, let's take a picture with grandpa or whatever. Like, do you think that's a good thing, a deflating thing, or does it even matter? Like, is it a, a choice thing? I guess it's a choice thing. And I guess it depends on the patient and the family. I actually have a picture with my grandma um, and my cousins while she was, you know, kind of in that transitioning stage. And, but my grandma was also lucid enough to know and to smile for the picture and, um, you know, I'm glad that I have that. I have a picture holding her hand. Um, you know, I'm glad that I have those things, but my grandma was lucid up until she became actively dying at the very end. Mm. Um, and, and some people are, many people are actually. Um, so I, I guess it's just a personal preference. You know, some people prefer not to remember loved ones like that. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, like, if if I were the person dying, like, I mean, I, I'm sure I would not have a problem taking a picture with people, but I, I'm certain that there would be thoughts of, wow, this, this really is the end for me. And who knows what people are thinking at that point. People are very aware. It's, it's funny. My grandmom, I swear, she, um, <laughs> she enjoyed the 
the three months before, you know, the end of her life more than she enjoyed the prior four years from the time that my grandfather had passed away. She was very lonely. Um, they had been married for more than 50 years and she, I think more or less just, you know, kind of hated life after he died and getting this terminal diagnosis. It was like, she had this living wake. She had fresh flowers every day. She had people coming to visit her every day. Mm. Um, you know, her kids were present that hadn't been present more or less her entire life. Um, you know, she kind of made amends with, with one of them and, you know, for her, that was the best three months she'd had in years and, you know, having her entire family there, um, you know, in the time before she passed, I, even up until her passing, you know, I think she was, she was ready. She was ready to go be with my granddad again. So I don't think she, you know, was looking at it like, oh man, this is really the end. I think she was looking at it as, you know, something better. And she had, she had recently, she had kind of gotten away from the church and religion and, um, she had recently been saved as well. And, um, you know, it was, it was a beautiful thing. It's, it's funny. This something we really haven't touched on is other, other signs from beyond. Um, but when my granddad passed, there was this light in the dining room that would turn on and turn off. Mm. And it did for a few days, more or less until his ashes came home and then it quit. But then when my grandma was passing, the light started turning on and off again. So, um, and she was seeing someone standing down at the edge of her bed. And my brother actually had a dream with someone standing at the edge of her bed and it was granddad. Um, so I, I fully believe that he was there to pick up his old woman. <laughs> so they used to call each other old man and old woman. And, um, you know, again, she was ready and it makes such a difference seeing people who are, are good with where they're going and ready to go. Yeah. You, you spoke of signs and I hear so often and, um, I, I never I guess downplay what people see or believe when it comes to that, because I know we need things to, I guess, ground us and bring us comfort in this world. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're off to the next and we're here, I guess, to, to make sense of it all. So if someone says, you know, I saw a Cardinal in my backyard today and I just feel like, you know, that was a visit from, uh, you know, granny or whoever, um, I, I don't ever downplay it at all. It's, you know, I, I want people to find comfort where they do and I don't want to poke holes in balloons. You know, that's not my job right. to do, especially as a therapist. I, I um, I believe that I, I have to let people work out a lot of things on their own. Um, you know, certainly if I start imposing my thoughts, my values, my beliefs on someone, um, it could be damaging to that person. So I have to be really, really careful with that. Um, but it is interesting. Some of the things that, that we see, um, like you said, signs and, and things that, uh, I I'm a big fan of dreams and I've mentioned it several times on this podcast. And I do believe we have, um, closure dreams and, mm -hmm. you know, things to bring us comfort that says, Hey, your loved one is okay. They're, <laughs> They're safe on the other side. And uh, I don't know, that's that's where I find most of my comfort as opposed to uh, anything else that I've seen or, or heard in this life. Um, but each person has their own thing, just like you said, a flickering light, you know, and if that brings comfort, then absolutely cling on to that. Um, what are some other signs that you've heard others speak of? Um. Sometimes things after they've passed, I had another patient who, and she didn't have kids. It was actually two of her good friends that were caring through her, for her through the end of her cancer journey. And they had this little, it was kind of like a little winged flower and the, the like leaves would flap or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, if you like wound it up <clears throat> and they, they would always like laugh about it and stuff. And after the patient had passed, the friend was cleaning up um, the room and like remaking the bed and stuff. And that little flower just started going. And mm. she said, you know, that she knew 
it was her friend there, you know, saying, I'm good. Like, it's all yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, uh, Hollywood has kind of ruined some of this for us too, you know, that these signs or things we see as creepy or, you know, just, uh, you know, a house that, you know, we don't want to enter into or whatever, but, um, I don't see it that way. Um, as far as signs and things like that, like it's, uh, I don't think people should, should think negatively about those things. And like I said, I, I think we all have to find meaning and positivity in our lives in these things. Um, mm -hmm. you know, anything that brings us comfort, it's a very, very wide open world in the world of grief. And there's so many varying beliefs from, uh, you know, where do we go when we die to, you know, do they still visit or not? Or, you know, there, I don't know. It's just so many unknowns. And I think this, this field will forever be, um, expanding in our thought process. I agree. There's, there's still so much to know and, um, you know, and to learn from, you know, the death and dying process and how people handle it. And, you know, but I don't feel it's something to be scared of. It's something that it's going to happen to all of us, um, you know, and being prepared through your, your life to me is the best way to handle death. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know that I could say that any better. And I think, um, I think so many people are scared of death and, and like you stated, even from a personal level, even though I've worked with this and I, I find so much comfort and joy working with others through the grieving process, um, I think it is the unknowns that trouble me. I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm a planner. I love to know, you know, what am I going to be eating next Thursday night? You know, it's, uh, um, I, I like to know those things, but it's, it's just, uh, there's a lot of things that we're just not supposed to know. And I think we just have to, you know, learn to be okay with it. And mm -hmm. one of the the biggest things that I talk to people about is control. And honestly, we don't have control of much in this life. And when we learn to relinquish the facade of control, um, I think we become happier people. I, I've definitely become happier the more I know that, okay, I can't control, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't even know if mm -hmm. I'll be here tomorrow. Um, so why not just cash in and make the absolute best of today? And uh, maybe that's what we should share with, especially those in, in that, those last moments, not even the person that's, that's passing away, but those who are there, like, make the best of this moment, make sure you leave nothing on the table and, and just, I don't know. It, yeah. It's, it's hard to tell someone, you know, make this a positive moment, but I think there are ways that we can do that uh, when somebody is passing, you know, whether yeah. it is that last conversation or to let people know that, Hey, you were very special in this life and I will always remember you. Absolutely. It's, I, I find that with young people, um, they struggle more too with, you know, being forgotten and, you know, things like that to where older people don't and, you know, knowing the value that they've had is, is so important to let people know because, and, but that's also important to let people know every day, not just when they're dying, because so many people don't understand, they don't know, you know, their self-worth. So I'm a huge, it's as much as I deal, you know, with death and dying, I am such a positive person, um, very optimistic, very outgoing. Um, and, you know, holding a door for someone and saying, oh, I love your outfit today, you know, stuff like that. It's just one of those things that we all need reminded and doing something little like that for someone can really make their day. And, yeah. you know, you, you never know what your actions, though they may seem small on your side, what a huge impact they can make on someone else. So, you know, no matter when it is, whether it be end of life or just when you're going to the grocery store, you know, just letting people know, hey, you're valued, you are important, um, is something that can really change someone else's outlook. 
Yeah, I think you're you're definitely spot on with that because this world I think wants to drain people and it's it seems like you go on social media and it is nothing but a, a full on competition out there. So I believe it does drain people of that self-worth and, uh, you know, am I good enough? You know, I've always told people, let's just remove the word enough from our vocabulary because you're comparing it against something else. Whenever you add that on, what is it like to be good, not good enough, you know? Um, so Danny, I'm curious, like whenever you pass, what do you want people to say about you? Um, that I was friendly and that I had a lot of friends, which I know that people <laughs> would at this point. Um, and just that, that I live life to the fullest, that I, um, you know, had no regrets and that I brought joy to other people. Mm. Excellent. Well, I know we're here at the end of our hour, but uh, I want to give you the the last hoorah here like you you tell me uh anything that you think we've missed anything that uh you think's important for listeners or or uh grieving people right now what are your final thoughts danny um i just i want to let people know that you know through this process that there's no right or wrong there's no you know this is the set way that you have to do it for everybody to take it you know a day at a time that's the biggest, most important thing is one day at a time. Don't worry about what the future holds so much as making today count because you don't know what you're going to get, um, you know, later. You were not promised tomorrow. That's it. That's it. Danny, thanks for being here. And uh, I, I appreciate your time. I wish you well on your, your move and your new job ahead. And uh, just really appreciate your thoughts on you know, death and the afterlife and maybe what we have to look forward to. Um, I, I, I'm not in a rush, but I definitely look forward to, uh, a time where there's no back pain or hip pain or knee pain, yeah. you know, and, um, and maybe the food quality will be better. You know, I don't know how <laughs> it could be being, like you said, living in the South, how could it be much better? But, um, <laughs> but I, I do feel like life, uh, my eternal life waiting ahead will be far greater than what this, this world offers. But, uh, but I'm going to enjoy, I always tell people, uh, my, my new, I guess, phrase in, in my counseling office is I'm going to live until I don't, you know, nope. <laughs> and yes, absolutely. just live it up and, and stop. I I've, I guess I've had a lot of fear in my life. It was instilled uh, early on and, and it's taken me a long time to work out of some of those. Um, I still have a fear of flying, but I don't have a fear of going to other countries. So I just get, get on a boat and sail there. <laughs> I was going to say, that's what Xanax is for. I don't like flying either, but <laughs> yeah, that would help. But uh, I, I would definitely have to have several. <laughs> I always say, you know, uh, put me on a plane like B.A. Baracus from the A-Team, knock me out and just wake me up when we get there. Uh, I'll be ready for for action or or whatever we're going to do at that point. But uh, but yeah, live until you don't and uh, yeah. just, you know, live the, the best life that we have. So anyway, Danny, thank you so much for being here. And listeners, thanks for tuning in for another episode. Uh, I'll have Danny's information in the show description. Feel free to send me an email as well, just if you want to be on the show and talk about your grief experience or someone that you've lost that you love and miss. Uh, until then, have a great day, everyone.